as 2023 comes to a close and we start to enter into 2024, one of the most common things that I have heard from the people in my life recently is that they are burnt out. And as someone who has gone through two debilitating burnout phases myself, I know how challenging it can feel to be burnt out, but know that you must continue to move forward in your life. And that's why today's podcast episode is going to be absolutely perfect for you if you are in that position that you're either burnt out right now or you want to prevent burnout so that you don't have to go through this painful period of time where you are lacking the energy and mental focus to continue to move forward. And on today's podcast episode, I had the honor of bringing my friend Gabriella Flax onto the show to speak all about burnout for you. So Gabriella is a burnout coach helping overwhelmed, underwater, and exhausted professionals create a life and a career that lights them up, not burns them out. Having gone through and recovered from a debilitating burnout herself, Gabriella is on a mission to reduce rising levels of burnout and help you live a more resilient, primed, and purposeful life. And in this conversation with Gabriella, we dive deep into burnout recovery, burnout resilience, overcoming perfectionism, and so many other things to help you either avoid burnout or overcome burnout if you're already at that place. But if you're wanting to dive deeper, if you're wanting to work with someone or understand how you can overcome the burnout that you're currently experiencing, definitely be sure to connect with Gabriella. All of her links are down below in the show notes, but I can fully guarantee that you are going to get so much out of this podcast episode and definitely want to connect with her afterwards. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's podcast episode and I'll chat with you on the next one. What's up and welcome to the No Bullshit Manifestation Show, the podcast that demystifies all of the nonsense that surrounds manifestation and gives you a realistic view of what it's like to be on a personal, professional, and spiritual growth journey. I'm your host, Kat Kozad, manifestation and money mindset expert, and I'm so happy you're here. Let's fucking do this thing. Alrighty, y'all. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have my dear friend Gabriella on the podcast with me, and I'm so excited to chat with all of you and chat with Gabriella about burnout, about alcohol-free living, about all of these incredible steps that you've created and changed in your life to live the life that you want to and have been creating for yourself recently. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. I know our my journey rather has been so inspired by everything that you've done and that you share with your audience. So excited to have the opportunity to to talk more about it. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it like a year ago on TikTok we connected? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a year. I saw one of your videos and it just, you know, those moments where you read something and you're thinking, I wrote that, but someone else's name is on it. And it was just this immediate resonance where I was like, Kat gets it. She's in my head. I just need to reach out. And yeah, everything that you share with your community has resonated with me on such a deep level that I just knew I needed to be a part of it in some way, shape or form. Uh, I love it. And it's so fun now that you're also creating such a powerful message. And so for everybody who's listening, would you go ahead and share your story with us of like, what you do today, why you're doing it in the world, and like, what was your journey essentially to get here? Definitely. So I 
work with individuals who are experiencing burnout and I'll really get into the you know nitty gritty of my story and what that transition looked like but really surface level having experienced what extreme stress what self-inflicted perfectionism and people pleasing and then paired with not great work environments all the time that just led to a point in my early career that I was not myself. I had a job I was super passionate about. It is what I studied for in university. I did my master's in technology management. For reference, I was a product manager working in software. I was obsessed with what I did. And despite that, and despite having a great support network, I had my dog, I had a great social life. I started finding that I was struggling to do the simplest of tasks. We're talking over the span of a few months, taking basic care of myself was second nature to climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. There were mornings where I would try and get out, out of bed and the idea of brushing my teeth before going into the office was mentally too much for me to surmount. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. And I'd end up calling in sick, feeling guilty that I couldn't do the work and I was letting my team down. And this just spiraled so far to the point where I'd wake up daily exhausted despite sleeping seven or eight hours. I was sleeping but not resting. I was anxious, cynical. I had really bad nausea, migraines. And there were days where even the idea of having to wash the dishes after eating dinner, the energy it would take to wash the dishes just forced me to not eat. I was like, it's easier mm -hmm. to just not have dinner because dinner creates dishes. I don't wanna wash the dishes. I don't want a messy house. Let's just not have dinner. And when you're burnt out, nourishing your body from, you know, a food perspective is one of the biggest things that you need to do. So the symptoms were compounding on itself and making my burnout recovery near impossible and felt just really, really stuck in that moment. Mm, wow. So powerful. First of all, thank you for sharing that because I know that so many women and so many people in general and myself included in the past have had moments like that where you said like literally not eating because the idea of mm -hmm. messy plates was more stressful than just not putting food inside of your body. And I've had two major burnout periods in the past. And yeah, absolutely. There went periods of times where I didn't either eat or like everything was a microwave meal because yeah. I could at least just like put it on a piece of paper towel and then not have to deal with it after the fact. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that because I feel like so many people experience shame surrounding that, yeah. that they've gotten to the place where they're so burnt out and maybe don't even recognize that it is burnout yeah. that they're doing those things. And then they just beat up on themselves even more because they're like, wait, why am I acting this way? When like on paper, I shouldn't be like, I have a good job. I have a good support system. I have friends, I have a partner or whatever it may be, but they still feel that way. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think the shame part of it was huge for me. I went from, you know, starting out my career, all I wanted was to grow in that role. I wanted the promotions, but I also wanted to do great work. I wanted to grow the kind of legacy that I had in this team and deliver great results. And I'd seen myself do it, right? And I think that what so many of us get caught out with is we've seen how we can perform. 
we have data points that go, yeah, you've done a 90 hour week before and you know, you did enough of them and then you got promoted off the backside of that. So if you want to get promoted again, well, you just keep doing what you were doing. And those cycles, when we start telling ourselves these narratives of success equals 90 hour work week, success looks like not taking breaks, success looks like not honoring our bodies and just allowing ourselves to grind into the ground because we keep getting rewarded for it. When that moment comes that we physically cannot take another step forward, we throw our hands up and go, well, why? I've been able to do it before. Why is now something different? Why has something changed in my body? And that's where the shame comes in. And there's guilt and you go, well, I should be able to. And what I would say to that is anyone who's experiencing that kind of duality of emotion there of, well, I feel like I can't, but I know I can. When you're burnt out, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. It is a natural response to how our body processes or does not process stress. And when we allow stress to build up chronically in the body and we are not taking appropriate steps to process it and almost metabolize it out of us, that's where the burnout comes in. But that's a bodily function. It's not that anything is wrong with you. It's just that we're living our lives in a way that don't honor closing out that stress cycle. Mm. And we're just pushing and pushing. And as you said, sometimes we don't know we're doing it. We're just living on autopilot. And we're letting, you know, we've set cruise control to 60 miles, 70 miles, 80 miles per hour. And we just go. We don't mm -hmm. think to question if that's how we should be living. Yeah. Yeah. Having that cruise control setting at, yeah, like 70, 80 miles per hour, not realizing that, oh, you're running out of fuel. And like mm -hmm. the car does need fuel in order to continue to go. Um, question for you within like burnout. I love what you're saying. It's like, it's just a bodily response because I think that a lot of times people look at burnout and they're like, oh, like, how did I let myself get to this point? Yeah. Can you dive a little bit more into the fact of like how it's just that bodily response? Definitely. So we have to think about the stress cycle. I want to use an example first to demonstrate like how our bodies respond to stress. First thing, stress is a good thing. Stress mm -hmm. normally gets labeled as this bad thing. You see a lot on social media about cortisol spikes and, you know, wanting to keep those hormones, stress hormones low. Stress inherently is a good thing. Reason being, you're out in the forest. This actually happened to me this summer. I was out hiking with a few of my friends. We were going to a lake out in Wyoming that we love jumping off this big rock into the lake. And we see a group of hikers come up and they go, We've been trailed by a bear, mama bear and her cub for the last 15 minutes. We need to start walking north because you can't go the other way right now. She's on the path. Mm -hmm. When you get news like that, your body automatically starts to go into this alarm stage. Your nervous system is throwing up alarm bells and going, we perceive a threat. You can't see the bear yet, but you've been told a bear is near. And what happens? You maybe see your heart rate go up. Maybe you start to get a little bit sweaty. You feel a little bit that anxiety and jitteriness coming up. That is a positive stress response because it's your body going, we need to get the hell out of here. There's a bear coming. It's time to move. And when that part of the nervous system kind of activates that alarm state, you can smell better. You can see better. You can hear better. Your body senses actually get activated to get you out of the threat's way. And you then can start running. 
if you start running away from the bear and your body goes, okay, actually now we see it, we know that there's a threat, we move into this state where the parasympathetic nervous system, that's the rest and digest, that's the part of our nervous system that calms us. It's trying to calm us down, but because we still see the threat, we do not allow it. We say, no body, it's not the time to rest. It's the time to run. We go into the fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system. That's what kicks in. We sprint away after about a mile, and it was a long mile because I had a very heavy backpack on, and I remember it brutally. We get to our car, and we're inside the parking lot, and the park marshal is like, you're safe, we're good, we have someone out there to make sure that there's no bears coming into the parking lot. When we finally got back into our car, or actually it happened to me when I saw my car before I even got into it, my body felt like it just released every bit of tension that I'd been carrying on my back with the backpack, you know, my shoelace, I hadn't even realized I'd tied it so tight. I basically cut off circulation to my foot. Like mm -hmm. I hadn't felt anything. And it was in that moment when I saw my car where I go, like the relief came out of me. My heart rate slowed. The sweating stopped. I could feel my muscles again. I wasn't fuzzy in my mind. That moment I saw my car is where the stress cycle closed. Mm. what would have happened had I hadn't seen my car is what so many of us experience on a day-to-day -day basis because we perceive a threat someone tells us the bear is coming we start running because we see the bear and we never stop we never get to the parking lot and we never see our car and we never feel safe within our body imagine you're in New York City you take the subway to work it's noisy it's loud you're getting jostled by people you get into an office where you're immediately inundated by Gmail and by Slack. People are asking requests of you left, right, and center. You sit down at your desk. You don't look up for 10 hours. You go home. You crash in your bed. And you wonder why you're anxious and you're nervous and you're feeling just all sorts of ways, right? Because no part of that day did you see your car and did you experience that safety. And so when we talk about closing the stress cycle, it's really that completion of telling your body you are safe yeah yeah mm, so powerful so what uh, for people in like their day-to-day -day life where perhaps they're not seeing the bear but they mm -hmm. are having that like stressful just day-to-day -day experience that maybe doesn't even feel stressful to them because it's kind of like okay again autopilot this is my norm yeah. this is what I do I always feel a bit anxious I always feel a bit stressed whatever it may be how do they start to close that stress cycle? And like, what are the different activities or things that they can do to help minimize that unsupportive stress? Definitely. So when I work with individuals who are experiencing chronic stress, and really what that means is they have lots of different stressors coming at them, and they're not incorporating activities to close that stress cycle. It's not complicated. And that's really what I want to stress is honoring our bodies does not have to be a complicated process. I think we see a lot of information on social media of really extravagant, you know, 10 step plans to doing this, or you have to have these 17 different skincare products, which no hate, no shade to the skincare game. I love it, but it's just to start that answer with, it doesn't have to be super complicated. The basic needs that we need to start closing out those stress cycles, we need to focus on sleep, 
And when I say sleep, I really mean, well, sorry, we need to focus on rest. And when I say rest, it's not exclusively sleep. Rest is any activity, and that's going to look different for anyone, that allows your nervous system to feel so safe that your brain can tap out. For me, that is reading fantasy books. Let me tell you, you want to detach from feelings of stress and anxiety in the body. A little dose of escapism into some dragon realm, for me, works like a charm. Mm -hmm. That allows me to rest. It's active rest. It's not sleeping. It's active rest. So I encourage everyone to really think about the activities that when you do them, where do you feel your mind slow? And I could give you a list of a hundred different activities. And, you know, there's some that work more regularly, I guess, for others, you know, more people have probably spent time outdoor in nature walking than they do in a pottery studio throwing clay. But like both of those are things, you know, from a movement perspective or from a creativity perspective that could work for you, but it's individualized. Right. So the first thing is rest. The second thing does come down to nurturing your body through food and movement. And one of the things I see a lot with burnout recovery and those I work with is food is a secondary thought. Mm -hmm. Food is so important to giving us the energy we need to do small tasks, even for five minutes a day, just to prove to ourselves that we can do it. Building up that confidence muscle comes from taking small actions. And so proving to yourself that, yeah, you can get the microwave meal and you can stick it in the microwave and you can still feed yourself, that builds some of the confidence that you need to really push through the burnout recovery process. And same with movement. Once we're resting, once we're nurturing ourselves and we're getting some energy back from food, then I incorporate movement. Mm -hmm. A lot of... What you see out there, you know, says in burnout recovery, start a gym routine, get into weightlifting, go running. I caution that a little bit because it really comes down to your energy levels at that, at that moment. If you are in the depths of burnout and you do not feel like you could sustain a 10 minute walk outside, that's okay. We don't need to push to a in-depth fitness routine quite yet. Exercise is great for burnout prevention as well, but really in that recovery stage, movement, whether that is stretching on the floor for a three-minute yoga sequence, you can find one of those on YouTube, whether it is just walking up and down the stairs in your house for a few moments, it doesn't need to be this big ornate fitness plan yet, and you can always build up. But movement is an incredible way of pushing stress through the body. I teach people how to count when they're working out. It's kind of very simple, but you know, counting actually really helps to distract the mind away from racing thoughts as you're outside mm -hmm. and breath work. The breath is the only regulating sense that we have in our bodies that can influence this nervous system. You can't see your nervous system back to a calm state, but you can breathe into the body in a way that does calm down your heart rate. And it has a direct response in terms of, um, you know, all those things, sweating, all the things we were talking about earlier. When you see that bear, the breath actually can help. Mm, so powerful. All of those, I know for me, have made the world of difference when I was in my first phase of burnout recovery. I didn't realize how important like food and nutrition and like the body was to it. And yeah. it wasn't until, so I had my second phase of burnout 
early 2022, like late 2021, early 2022. And when I was in that place, I had like debilitating brain fog, was so exhausted, like would wake up in the morning and need a nap, like three hours after waking up, had the hardest Mm -hmm. time making it through like calls the entire day. And when I, I started working with a holistic health coach and we did some testing and I was shocked to learn that my nervous system was out of whack because I had done so much trauma healing and I had done Mm -hmm. so much all around these things that I talk about on the podcast and do with my coaching clients. And to come to this place of understanding that like, oh, the body is actually like one of the most important things, if not the most important thing to be pouring into to then actually also help your mental and emotional state was such a like game changer for me because I see a lot in the world of personal development. It taught the other way around where it's like focus solely on the mindset, focus solely on the emotional state, and then everything else will fall into place. And it's like, wait, starting with like where you're actually at, where you actually like physically exist is so important. And everything that you just talked about is that being able to come back to the body and really use your breath, use nutrition, use that active rest to bring yourself back to a more regulated state. So on your journey of like burnout recovery, when you got to that place that you were talking about of like really recognizing the burnout in your life, what was like the the tipping point or the journey to start to then step into your recovery and like get to the place that you're at now? Definitely. So I have a funny memory with that. And one of the things I noticed when I was at the peak of my burnout is really how cynical and irritable I was, especially with Mm. people who are close to me. And I used sarcasm. I used sarcasm as basically a way to deflect a lot of that cynicism. And I confessed to one of my best friends, I'll never forget saying this to her because I thought it was funny. I like said this phrase thinking that I was gonna win some sort of like social brownie points as a joke that we could all laugh about. And I told her that I was having a panic attack for breakfast, a migraine for lunch, and a date with my email inbox for dinner. I sat there then going, okay, where's the laughter? Because we can all resonate with this. And, you know, it didn't come. And her response to me truly shocked me into place. And she said, Gabs, self-neglect will be your demise. Mm. Self-neglect will be your demise. And that phrase has stuck with me to this day. It has inspired so much of my burnout recovery process. It's reworked my relationship with my body, with my career, with my family, with my friends. And reason being, we are so quick to, especially when it comes to our careers, think about how we can maximize our output? How can we be the best person for our employer? How can we be, you know, the absolute rock star on the team so that we can get the promotions and make more money and move to this, you know, definition of success that has been, you know, uh, programmed into our minds from young ages. And in that process, I forgot what it meant to honor myself. I just didn't think about it. I never thought about my feelings. I never thought about how I was, you know, I just, we were talking about autopilot earlier. I just, I just went, I just went and I went and I never cared about myself. And 
in me thinking it was normal to have a panic attack for breakfast and a migraine for lunch, my friend calling me out and going, that's about as far from ease as you could be living, caused me to make some changes. And that comment from her inspired me to call my grandmother, who we knew had Alzheimer's at the time, but we didn't you know, exactly know how advanced it was. And I called her for advice. And I basically wanted to speak with her because she's always been incredibly she's just lived her life in a way that really honors stillness and I knew that she would be able mm -hmm. to give me some words of advice on what stillness in my life could look like because I wasn't getting that from doctors and I wasn't getting that from social media and I really needed to start crafting it for myself and when I picked up the phone to call her and she answered she could not remember who I was mm -hmm. and that was the second flag that I'd been told self-neglect will be my demise and now I'm on the phone with someone who can't remember who I am, despite, you know, I was 25 at that time. She knew me my whole life. And my health, the fragility of my health shattered right there on that phone call. And it basically said, it doesn't matter that you're 25 years old, because every step that you, if you continue on the path that you're on right now, God forbid there becomes a day where you pick up the phone to call your granddaughter, your granddaughter calls you and you don't remember who she is. We know that stress and disease in the body can lead to so many different uh, you know, diseases down the line, Alzheimer's being one of them. And I said right there, right now, I'm going to act with intention and start making pretty big changes in my life that empower me to slow down. And it was a lot of trial and error the biggest thing that I did, and you and I have talked a lot about this, is I stopped drinking and going alcohol-free in your you know, mid-20s, living in a big city, working a corporate job. There was stress with the decision to not drink, but the decision to not drink helped me slow. And when I removed alcohol from myself, and you know, I was never a huge drinker. I was very much someone who used red wine, especially to calm down from work and if I had a stressful day the clarity came back that I needed to figure out what rest looked like for me it was the veil that lifted and once I had that clarity of mind back I was able to go okay how do I rest best how do I feed myself best how do I move my body best and once I had done all of those things I then looked inward more on the mindset side and re-examined my relationship with people-pleasing, with perfectionism, with an all-or-nothing mentality. But mm -hmm. those things almost cascaded on each other. And I would say that the alcohol-free decision to you know, stop drinking was that first step that just gave me this blast of clarity and everything else started falling into place after. Yeah, mm, so beautiful. And I know you mentioned this, you mentioned it just a moment ago, but also at the very beginning of our conversation, you said self-inflicted perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so powerful because the amount of people that I talk to that like wear perfectionism as like a badge of honor or as, um, yeah, something that it's like, oh, I could never let this go and not realizing how much it's actually impacting them in a harmful or unsupportive way. So when you were reworking your mindset and your relationship mm -hmm. with these different things inside of yourself, taking that internal look, 
what helped you with the perfectionism? Yeah. Perfectionism. Oh, my old, my ex-best friend. Yeah. So (laughs) there, so as I mentioned, I was working in software before and the question that you just asked me was a question I asked myself and basically said, how do I lessen the pressure on a task? And why I mentioned the software bit is because the answer I'm going to give you is very much uh, inspired by how we write code. So when you're writing code and you have a task at hand, let's say I want to create a button. And when I click the button, it takes me to the next page, right? There's very clearly an action and a result. Mm -hmm. If I write code and I try and click a button and another page doesn't load, I have failed. The code does not work. Mm-hmm. I go back, I rework the code, I do it, and it goes ahead and you know the button clicks to the next page. So it's very much a black and white process of this works or this doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, we can go back and make small changes until it does. What we call in software development is we have a definition of done. So what is the least, the path of least resistance to get the button that when we click it, it opens a new page? There are 15 different ways, 20 different ways, 100 different ways that you could write the code to make the button work. Mm -hmm. But only one of those 100 ways is the simplest. What you have to do to overcome perfectionism, in my scenario, and this is something that I teach people and I've seen it work time and time again, is understanding what the definition of done looks like for your task at hand. Mm -hmm. So if you're working on a presentation, and you have to communicate points X, Y, and Z, before you even start working on the presentation, you need to understand what done looks like for this presentation. Hmm. And there's templates that you can follow that basically help you decipher, if I can achieve points one, two, and three, this piece of work is now done. Mm -hmm. And then it's honoring that. It's setting a boundary and going, when I achieve these three things, we put the pen down. We do not continue to overinvest time for diminishing returns because you've already proven to yourself and said, once I do tasks one, two, and three, this piece of work is done. It's uncomfortable because you're going to, as a perfectionist, want to over-index and you're going to want to do more and more. But if you can get clear on what that definition of done is, even writing out what it looks like on a post-it note and putting it on your laptop. So the second you hit that, you go pens down. The follow-up action is you then ask someone to review it for you and you go, mm-hmm. hey, Kat, I have this presentation coming up. I need to communicate points one, two, and three. I've done that. Here are the points that I need to communicate. Here's my presentation. Can you please confirm that I've communicated those things well? Mm-hmm. Now, you can come back to me and say, you know what, Gab, you've got points one and two nailed, but point three, it's a little bit uh, wishy-washy. Could you just refine it further? And that's where I'm saying we can always make things a little bit better. And what that means to me is I'm not touching points one and two. You told me that I've finished the task at hand for points one and two. And you've said, you've invited me to iterate and improve a little bit on point three. That then helps me as a perfectionist go, you know what? Forget points one and two. We're only focusing on point three. And then we're finishing it out that way. Yeah. So Definition of done, um, it's a really helpful exercise and just getting comfortable with the fact that your good, 
I've just done air quotes for everyone listening, is way over the bar of what you probably think you have to do. Like your good is 100%, 99%. You very rarely, your excellent is so far off into space and it's not adding anything else. No, 100%. I'm obsessed with what you just said, because I think that for a lot of people that like do experience perfectionism, they, they don't have that end result that they think they're working towards. It's kind of just yeah. like this, who knows? Ambiguous. Like, yeah. Sort of ambiguous thing of like perfection yeah. versus like, okay, yeah. Like let's lay that intention out for me. I've gotten to the place where it's like, I have my daily non-negotiables and it's like, mm-hmm. I must sleep eight hours. That's like a non-negotiable for me. I eat three meals a day and those balance my blood sugar. And I do at least like 1% for my business. I have non-negotiables inside of my business, but it's like, okay, those are my non-negotiables for the day. And if I accomplish those things, I'm good. So I love that being able to take that like beyond the workplace and into your day-to-day life to look at like, okay, yeah. Like what, what are those non-negotiables? What are those things, those points that end result that you can kind of aim for so that there isn't this constant, uh, like push forward to achieve more and get to this place of perfection that isn't creating like the support that you actually need. Definitely. And that's one of the great reasons, you know, overcoming perfectionism it's definitely something that anyone can do on their own and if you're noticing that your perfectionism is holding you back and a lot of times you know people who are perfectionists also like to be productive and Mm -hmm. they're like brother and sister a little bit they're in conflict because if you're trying to be perfect perfect a lot of times requires extra time extra time in the name of proficient and being productive that's not what's happening there So if you're trying to be productive and you're trying to be more efficient with your work, conflating that within perfectionism, you're at war with yourself. So it's not to say that you have to be this super slick, you know, the phrasing of, you know, work smarter, not harder. It's not to say that you can't have a great work ethic and you can't create and produce incredible deliverables and work. And both, you know, this could also be in terms of your friendships, right? It's not all about your, the workplace, like being perfect in a friendship, you have to really just as you said like go down into the core principles of what does it mean to be a good friend what does it mean to be a good employee for this company what does it look like to be a good daughter right now getting clear with yourself on that defining what done looks like for all of those scenarios achieving that baseline and then you're reserving your energy for those moments that you do want to go above and beyond i'm not saying never go but it's saying get what you need to get done and then be intentional with where you extend extra bits of yourself and where you give more energy and time and effort from your core in your job, in your family relationships, with your friends, in your dating life. But it doesn't have to be 110% in all of those areas all at once. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so good. Okay. So for somebody who's listening to this conversation is like, uh, yep, this is me. And I Mm -hmm. don't exactly know where to get started. Like, yes, this is all well and good and sounds incredible, but like then actually implementing it into my life, what advice or like, what would you say to them in terms of a starting point? Sure. So there's a few things that starting point can happen and I'll give one answer respective to coaching and I'll give an answer just for anyone who's like, you know what? I just have to start 
right after I finish listening to this episode. Yeah. So the first thing is really to acknowledge that burnout exists. So a lot of times we talked about, you know, autopilot earlier. We don't want to acknowledge and accept that we might be experiencing burnout. Reason being is because once we know it's there, it's this big, you know, scary looming storm cloud of, well, what do I do next? And sometimes it's easier to not deal with the storm cloud and just look the other way behind us back at blue skies that aren't really blue because we're feeling like this right now. Mm-hmm. So first is really just saying, getting comfortable. And I have clients say out loud and said, I'm experiencing burnout. It's a phase. It's not me. It's just this thing that's happening to me right now. And making peace with it. Making peace with it then opens us up to healing from it. But if we try and reject it and we go, no, I'm not really burnt out and it's just weakness or it's something else, like it makes the recovery process a lot more difficult. So just getting comfortable with it. Say, hey, hey, burnout, how are you? I tell some people to name their burnout. Mine was called Susan when I was in the middle of it. And if you feel at any point, you know, the cynicism come up or you find yourself snapping at your best friend, I would go, oh, that was just Susan. I'm really sorry. It wasn't Gabriella. That was someone separate who I'm working on right now, but that was Susan. Next, I'd say set a realistic timeline for recovery. This is one of the, you know, again, kind of something we have to get in touch with because recovering from burnout requires time. It took us years to learn the habits and the behaviors that led us to burnout in the first place. Now, of course, if there's environmentally charged burnout, let's say you have a really poor manager who is just making your time at work really, really hectic. Let's say you're in a toxic relationship and you know the proximity to that partner is what's driving this. Those things can also obviously contribute to burnout and creating space between you and that stressor is critically important. And that can happen on a much quicker timeline. You could you know, leave the job, you could work for a different team, whatever it might be. But still at its core, recovering from burnout does take time to unlearn the narratives that we've allowed or we've told ourselves that keep us in burnout. And the next thing that I'd say and kind of the last answer I'd say on on this is explore your relationship to rest and productivity. Everyone should be asking themselves, do I view rest as a right or as a reward? Mm. Do I only let myself read a book? For me, I said, you know, reading fantasy books is something that really helps me. Do I only allow myself to read when I've done a 70 hour work week? Or am I incorporating active rest into my day? Because for me, being productive is not getting more work done. To me, being productive is now creating the time and space to do the activities that help me rest. It's flipping that. And so really examining, how do I define productivity? What drives my constant need to be productive? And opening that internal dialogue actually starts to help reduce the overwhelm and empowers you to start creating a life that is more in line with your values. Maybe what you've defined as productivity your whole life no longer resonates, but you have to open that line of communication with yourself to actually begin healing from it. So beautiful. It truly is. One of the things that I always say on the podcast and to my clients is that like, you can't change what you're not willing to recognize and what you don't recognize. Mm -hmm. And being able to listen to a conversation like this, listen to Gabriella talk about all of these different things. I can imagine for so many people, 
it may be that little light bulb of like, oh, like I've been looking to the blue sky, hoping that the blue sky mm-hmm. was going to continue instead of looking at this storm cloud. And that storm isn't actually going to swallow me up. It's not going to eat me whole. Totally. All I have to do is acknowledge like, yes, I am experiencing burnout right now. And now that I've met myself where I'm at, I can actually start to create these shifts and changes. And you gave us so many beautiful examples of how to start to do that um, in this episode. So thank you so much for that. And last question I have for you, this is the one that I ask all of my guests on the No Bullshit Manifestation Show, which is what is one piece of no bullshit advice that you can give to everybody who is listening? Oh, you know, that is such a great question. I, I'm going to come out with a, a hot take here. And we love hot takes. We love a hot take. You know, can a job and can a work environment cause burnout? Yes. However, your job did not burn you out. And why I say that is because we are very quick to look to situational and environmental indicators for why we are feeling this way. And at the end of the day, we are wholly responsible for ourselves. We're mm-hmm. responsible for our actions, for our emotions, for our behaviors. And there's a lot of work that we can do in terms of the burnout recovery journey. And as I said, yes, if you are in a toxic work environment, if you have a boss who demands that you're working weekends, that you're checking your phone and emails at three in the morning, yeah, that's going to burn you out. I'm not saying it's not, but this is where we go back to the self-neglect is going to be your demise. You're allowing yourself for some reason to check your phone at two in the morning. You are allowing yourself to open up your email inbox at 6 a.m. on, you know, before you get on the subway to go to work for some reason. Your job is throwing signal. It's, you know, creating an environment that allows you to become burnt out. But at the end of the day, you are the one opening the phone. You are the one opening the laptop. And we have to get to the root of why you are allowing yourself to do that. Incredible. It is because there's so much liberation in that, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like if if somebody can stop pointing the finger outwards at their environment and be like, oh, this is why I feel this way and turn it back around and be like, oh, no, I'm the center point of this. Like it all comes back to me. There's liberation, there's freedom in that. So totally. thank you for the hot take. I think it's exactly what people need to hear if they are experiencing yeah. burnout. And so if people did resonate with this conversation and they want to come be a part of your world and learn more about what you have going on, where can they find you and what do you have going on? Definitely. So you can find me on Instagram at Gabriella Flax. I'm Gabriella with one L and similarly on TikTok, Gabriella underscore Flax. Um, TikTok is really my daily thought journal around burnout. I love nothing more than talking about the techniques I use with clients to overcome different parts of burnout recovery. I am an avid weightlifter, which is something I introduced after I'd kind of come over the other side of burnout and I now use it as a burnout prevention tactic. I love talking about fitness and movement and food and how all of these things can nurture our bodies as we're going through this process. So come join me on either of those platforms to get kind of your your daily dose of some hype up community and just someone who reminds you that being burnt out is a normal thing we go through and you can get through it. If you're interested to learn more about coaching, I do one-on-one coaching, it is really 
an opportunity for you to learn with my guidance the root cause of your stress. And sometimes that's a difficult process to go through in terms of, you know, there's some easy answers out there of I have a stressful boss, I am demanded to work a lot of hours, I have responsibilities at home, I'm responsible for, you know, if you are a parent, you've got kids, dogs, whatever it might be, is really identifying the root causes of stress and recognizing that burnout is often the result from a combination of environmental, societal, and personal factors. So I'm basically your guide. I've got the light, you know, the torch, and I'm going, let's look and let's try and figure out what all of the different stressors are. And then we explore the learned behaviors and beliefs and pinpoint the counterproductive tendencies that have come from these stressors. So that's things like people pleasing and that's perfectionism. Again, if you're checking your email at midnight, why? Is that coming from people pleasing? Is that coming from an all or nothing mentality that you must always be on for your job? Um, and really starting to work out and tease out, okay, these are the things that are actually keeping us stressed. Once we identify what that stress is, I help you create plans to distance yourself from the stressors. And those are simple strategic lifestyle changes and then a lot of thought reprogramming. So, okay, how do we physically, let's say the commute is, you notice that your commute to work in the morning just riles you up like nothing else. Okay, simplistically, what are other ways to get you to work? Can we explore a work from home one extra day a week? Can we explore an alternate, like really just objectively me coming in and going, how do we improve the situation once we've identified some of these stressors and really help you regain your energy in the process? And the final piece of this is once you have regained that energy, we've identified your stress. It's really then looking at, especially on the career side, and I have a personal like love of career coaching as well. Is the role you're in right now aligned with the core values we've uncovered? Because mm -hmm. what you've learned in the first few months of going through burnout recovery is the person you thought you were and that you have been might have shifted. And it's a lot of why we get into burnout. Yep. We start our career hungry, wanting to push for all these promotions, the glory of you know different job titles and as you start to get a little bit older and deeper into your career, is that still what values, you know, what matters to you? And being really honest about what that looks like and helping you to create a career and a life that are not only in harmony, but light you up and don't burn you out. Because burnout can come back, especially, you know, we work to put the boundaries in place and we work to create the support systems and community and self-care routines that prevent it. But the reality is we need to ensure that your career is something that empowers you because having that empowerment in your life and in your job and the way that you invest in your passions outside of work like those are the things that continue to light you up and I really want to help people maximize on those areas mm, so beautiful y'all if any of that sounds like something that you want and need in your life definitely check out the show notes down below all of Gabriella's information is going to be listed down there and you can reach out to her but Thank you again so much for this conversation. I know it's going to help so many people and I'm glad that we could finally make it happen. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's, um, you know, everything, as I said at the start, I love watching how you communicate to your community, the importance of the body and homecoming to the body. I think you used that phrase quite recently and it's just this, 
it's cool. Like let's make in 2024, it is cool to go inward. It is cool to honor yourself. There is no shame in slowing down. And just because you slow down does not mean that you can't achieve great things. It's in the slowing down and it's in the intentional action that the best things come out. Absolutely. It's the better it gets, the better it gets. The more that you yep. allow that process, the easier it becomes and the the more fulfilling and rewarding it all is. So yay. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks so much.